I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Revelation chapters 13 through 16. I should point out as a matter of perspective that uh, the chronology of the book of Revelation was interrupted back beginning with verse um, 1 of chapter 10. Chapters 10 through 14 cover personalities and events that fit into various places in this seven-year tribulation period. The chronology of events resumes when we get to chapter 15. However, there is a brief five-verse introduction to these events that we found back in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. In Revelation chapter 13, we find the description of what are called two beasts, the beast of Revelation 13, the first of which is described in the first ten verses. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is likened to the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, and to overcome them. And power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man hath an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. First, an overview of Revelation chapter 13. These two beasts of Revelation 13 are both men. On that much, virtually everyone agrees. The first ten verses of this chapter describe the beast many commonly referred to as the Antichrist. Notice the description of this beast is similar to that of Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, with regard to the head-horn configuration. What we know for sure about this man from this chapter is that he will be an incarnation of Satan himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 also describes this incarnation. And he will rule during the 42 months that mark the last half of the tribulation. Daniel calls this anti-God act of 2 Thessalonians 2, where we find the description of exactly what he does. Daniel calls this the abomination of desolation in Daniel 9.27. Jesus also makes direct reference to the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, which is paralleled also in Mark chapter 13, verse 14. 
This beast will make war against those who serve God during this period of time. One of the most well-respected men in the study of prophecy is J. Dwight Pentecost. I've included in the written notes of Bible Track for today an article entitled, Who is the Beast? It's located to the right of the screen uh, on the December 23rd reading. And it gives Dwight Pentecost's description of exactly what kind of criterion the um, Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, will meet. Now let's give some details. Many view the sea we see in verse 1 as symbolic of Gentile origin. The seven heads and ten horns is viewed by most as a federation of ten nations headed by the beast, where the heads are the leaders and the horns are the nations themselves. The blasphemy indicates his animosity for God. In verse 2, the description of the beast mirrors that of the third and fourth beast in Daniel chapter 7. There we see that the leopard is the Greek empire, the bear is the Medo-Persian empire, and the lion is the Babylonian empire. That's in chapter 7. This merging into one beast must have some sort of relevance here, although it's not certain what that might be. The dragon, also known as Satan, empowers this beast. In verse 3, one of the heads is seen as having had a mortal wound, which was healed. If the heads in verse 1 are leaders, then one of the nations in the federation was resurrected after apparent destruction, or perhaps one of the leaders was perceived to have been resurrected himself. We clearly see a worship of Satan by the world in verse 4, as he, the dragon, empowers the beast. Paul refers to this phenomenon in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says the following, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The beast will be regarded in this context as invincible. Now notice the extent of the beast blasphemy in verses 5 and 6. He will blaspheme what we know about God to be true. These 42 months here encompass the last half of the tribulation. Notice the extent of his blasphemy in verse 6. He will blaspheme against God, God's name, God's tabernacle, and all them that dwell in heaven. No question, he's a bad man who's motivated by Satan himself. In verse 7, we see that the beast will make war against the people who have been saved during the tribulation. His influence will be worldwide, yet not without resistance, as we'll see when we get down to Revelation chapter 16. We are told in verse 8 that all those who are unregenerate, it says, whose names are not written in the book of life, all of those people will worship this beast. However, we are assured in verses 9 and 10 that the wicked, including the beast, will come to their just end. Beginning in verse 11, we have the second of these two beasts. Verse 11, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. 
and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying, to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword, and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. We find in verses 11 through 18 here the assistant beast we commonly call the false prophet. As a matter of fact, he's referred to as such in Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, and in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. So if the C in verse 1 means that the first beast that we generally call the Antichrist is a Gentile, as we pointed out, that's the theory of many uh, scholars who study this passage. So if the C means that he's a Gentile, then perhaps the earth of verse 11 means the false prophet here is Jewish. Here's what we do know. He's the religious leader and the public relations guy who makes the people worship the first image. He's described as a lamb who speaks as a dragon. Satan is described as the dragon in verses 1 through 10. This second beast is powerful like the first beast and is successful in deceiving the unbelieving world because he exercises some very supernatural powers. Those are from Satan. And in the process, he supports with these powers the first beast. He also has an image of the first beast erected for worship purposes and makes it appear to be alive. He is to the first beast, well, the man we generally call the Antichrist, he is to the first beast what John the Baptist was to Christ. And he even brings fire down from heaven just like Elijah did in verse 13 of this passage. That's particularly significant in view of the fact that Jews were and are still looking for a forerunner to the Messiah according to their understanding of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. You may want to consult those passages or you can look at the summary of those passages in an article that I've written that I've posted on the front page of Bible Track called Was John the Baptist Elijah? In fact, I'm convinced that one of these two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 comes in that spirit of Elijah as the forerunner to the second coming of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. So let's get the big picture on this false prophet from verses 14 through 18 here in this passage. Here it is. He deceives the world through supernatural powers and institutes worship of the beast and his image. He's even able to give lifelike qualities to the image. Those who refuse to worship the first beast will be killed. Well, he does sound like a diabolical 
uh, version of Elijah, doesn't he? This false prophet controls commerce by marking people who will worship the first beast on their hand or in their forehead. Without the mark, tribulation inhabitants won't be able to do business. Here's that famous 666 we hear so much about. Incidentally, the state of electronic commerce in the world today facilitates the commerce scenario summarized in verses 16 through 18. In 2009, we're very near being a cashless society with regard to business transactions already. With the insistence of government that all receive a unique identifying number in their first year of life, it's not difficult to imagine that everyone may be buying and selling based upon that identifying number in the, well, very near future. And furthermore, who among us doesn't believe that it's just a matter of time before scanning that number somewhere on or under our skin is not the way purchases will be made within just a few years? At that point, when that event is a reality, commerce will be very easy to control, as is the scenario that we see in verses 16 through 18. Now we come to Revelation chapter 14, and we revisit those 144,000 witnesses that we first saw back in Revelation chapter 7. Verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand, which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. There is no question here. Jesus is the Lamb on the literal Mount Zion in verse 1 here. A new song of redemption is heard, and only the 144,000 could learn that song. Remember the 144,000 witnesses of chapter 7 who got saved after the rapture of the church to preach to the world during the tribulation? Well, here we find out more about these very same people. They are unmarried men. We see that in verse 4. They are only the first among those who get saved during the tribulation. They don't represent all the saved. And we find that they live blameless lives in verse 5. Beginning with verse 6, we have three angels with messages. Verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, 
The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So here we see that the first of the three angels comes with an appeal to the earth to turn to God. That's in verses 6 and 7. The second angel appears in verse 8 to project the fall of the wicked seed of the first beast, and that's Babylon. It isn't introduced again until we get down to Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. We'll see this in greater detail in Revelation chapters 7 and 18. Babylon's fornication, as it's described here, refers to her spiritual wickedness. The third angel proclaims the consequences of aligning with the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13, during the tribulation. Those people who accept the mark of the beast are in for a very tough ride. Just look particularly at verses 9 through 12 here to see what's in store for them. I got a slogan here. Here it is. Better dead than red. Okay, I, I made that up, but on really good authority. If you recall from Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, Satan is called the great red dragon. So, what color is the dragon described here? Well, he's red. So, I'll say it again. Better dead during this period than red. A wine metaphor is used in verse 10, which actually extends throughout the remainder of this chapter. The harvest of wine here is the harvest of the lost. The lost go to a fiery judgment. These are the ones who will adopt the mark of the beast in verses 9 and 11. The contrast is seen in verses 12 and 13 as we see those who die in the Lord during this period of time. Then we see the great harvest in chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even into the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Verse 14 here introduces the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Let's have a glimpse of the end with the assistance of these three angels in verses 15, 17, and 18. We'll see the battle of Armageddon in some detail in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. But here in this passage, we have a preview. The Son of Man having on his head a golden crown, of course, is Jesus at the second coming at the end of the tribulation. The sharp sickle is undoubtedly an instrument of judgment. The phrase, her grapes are fully ripe, is probably referring to the wickedness of the beast's people in keeping with the wine metaphor, verses 9 through 12. The description of the blood in verse 20 surely refers to the judgment of Christ on the wicked at the end of the tribulation. I tell you, it's obvious here that you better be on God's side. Let me emphasize again that I'm convinced that today's believers will be long gone from the earth when all of these events take place. My position, the pre-tribulation rapture position, dictates that the rapture takes place prior to this seven-year period of time. In chapter 15, we have seven angels with seven plagues. Verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacles of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God, and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. We see here in this very short chapter that it introduces the last few days of the tribulation. The seven angels are given the vile judgments as, as stated in the summary on Revelation chapter 11 verses 15 through 19. It would appear that the seventh trumpet is the container for the seven vile judgments that are introduced here in this passage. You'll see from the description of these judgments in the following chapters that the world is very close to the end of the tribulation at this point. The earth simply cannot survive the consequences of these judgments for an extended period of time. That's why we see in verse 1 that after these things the wrath of God is filled up. These seven vile judgments finish out the judgments of the tribulation period. In verse 2 we see a sea of glass mingled with fire. We saw this sea of glass in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. We're told that this event takes place in heaven. Just a few days remain in the tribulation at this point. These who had gotten the victory over the beast have been martyred, thus the sea of glass mingled with fire, as described here. 
In verses 3 and 4, these martyred saints sing a couple of songs. The Song of the Lamb is the first one, and the Song of Moses, the second one. Moses actually wrote two songs. One's found in Exodus chapter 15. That's regarding the victory of the Israelites over the Egyptians. And his farewell song is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. This song of Moses is probably the one that we see in Exodus chapter 15. In verse 5, it is worth noting here that the tabernacle and temple on earth were representations of that which is found in heaven. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Likewise, the eternal priesthood is that of Melchizedek. Aaron's priesthood was earthly and it was temporary. In verses 6 through 8, these angels are the, are, are the ones who deliver the last seven judgments of the tribulation, those vile judgments. As you can see, these judgments come straight out of the temple in heaven. Notice the smoke in verse 8. This smoke represents the Shekinah glory, first seen in Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. God's glory in the form of smoke filled the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. And it again filled Solomon's temple in 1 Kings chapter 8 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Now, have you ever wondered what are the last few days of the tribulation actually going to be like? Well, Revelation chapter 16 gives you the answer to that question right here. Beginning with verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged this. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. Wow, tough. I mean, really, really tough here. This chapter contains the last judgments of the tribulation. They're known as the seven vile judgments from these seven angels. And here they are. The first one are sores on the mark of the beast people. The uh, grievous sores comes from the Greek word paneros, which means evil. All indications are that this is going to be a global occurrence. Remember Egypt's plague in, in uh, plague number six? when uh, Moses was calling the Jews out of Egypt. Well, that plague consisted of oozing boils back in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. And that seems to be the same kind of sores we see here in verse 2. Then we see, secondly, in verse 3, that the sea is poisoned and everything in it dies. Well, the seas are turned to blood. This seems to be also a global occurrence. All life in the sea dies the word soul is translated from the Greek word suke, which um, we get our word psych, our psych words there, indicating that all creatures that live in the sea are going to actually die. The springs and waters are turned to blood in verses 4 through 7. The natural fresh water sources are turned to blood. This also appears to be a global occurrence. How long can the earth survive without fresh water? Now, it's worth noting that this also happened in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, when Israel was coming out of Egypt. That was the first plague upon Egypt just prior to the Exodus. Then we find in verses 8 and 9, the sun becomes vicious. The intensity of the heat of the sun upon the earth is altered. The word scorch here means to cause suffering through intense heat. Somehow the righteous are not affected by this phenomenon. The kingdom of the Antichrist, in verses 10 and 11, is turned into darkness. Darkness covers the kingdom of the beast. This does not seem to be a global occurrence. The effects of the previous vile judgments are still kind of nagging at them. They blaspheme and do not repent of their deeds. Now, plague number nine in Egypt included three days of darkness back in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. This sixth plague in verses 12 to 16 uh, shows us that the Euphrates, the river Euphrates, dried up 
and everybody gets ready for the Battle of Armageddon. Now, this is to facilitate the gathering of armies in Armageddon, assumed by most to be in the plains of Ezra Elon, where many notable battles have been fought in Israel's history. The three unclean spirits of verse 13 come out of the dragon. We see in Revelation chapter 12, that's Satan. Beast number one, the Antichrist, as we commonly call him, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and beast number two, the false prophet of Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 and 18. All three of these are involved. These summon world leaders to gather their armies for Armageddon. Incidentally, this is the only usage in the New Testament of the word Armageddon. And then lastly, we have a storm and an earthquake, and subsequently the pagan city, Babylon, is described up in chapter 14, verse 8, is destroyed, and all hail breaks loose. Notice the little play on words there. Verses 17 through 21 is where we see this. This is the last judgment. There will be earthquakes, which will cause major land shifting. The hail out of heaven is awesome, inasmuch as each hailstone will weigh approximately 90 pounds. This plague will include the collapse of world governments and it will also include the Battle of Armageddon. You'll notice in verses 17 to 21 that a major transformation of the earth takes place. Ezekiel's temple, as we see in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, won't actually fit on the real estate that now sits in Jerusalem. This supernatural earth-moving plague is necessary to make room for the millennial temple. Now this chapter right here takes us to the end of the tribulation. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 17 through 19 on the 27th, and what we'll see there is more detail regarding these very events right here. But that brings us to the end of chapter 16 and our reading for today. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton. 